Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. Joining me for the third time this week, it's the other host, Covert Go Blue, here again to continue us talking about M21 spoilers. How are you doing today, CGB? You're lucky I like you. This was not like this was not in the contract. Three times in a week, three times. You're, you, you know, I think we're both lucky that th- we love this game and our audience so much that we just can't stay away. There's new cards. There's new cards. What more could you want than to talk about new magic cards? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, that's that's what my partner said on our one year anniversary. Arjuna, you're lucky. I like you, and I was like. I don't disagree with that. I do feel lucky. I feel like the luckiest cat in Babylon right now. And um, yeah, I'm I'm stoked to talk about some more M21. We recorded like an hour and 20 minutes of M21 spoilers. And we're like, no, this is not enough magic talk for the week. So we're back to run our mouths a little bit more about this sweet set. And I'm I'm pretty excited about this set. So... Stoked to dive in, and we have a we have a good one to start off with. I threatened CGB that I'd make him monologue for ten minutes about this card. So, why don't you why don't you get cracking on that CGB? Take us into Subira Tolzidi Caravana. You sure know how to threaten me to get me to talk about a red creature um, <laughs> for that length of time. Um, Subira Tolblabli that blah blah blah. blah. This card is a two and a red legendary creature, human shaman, rare, haste, haste. It's important. Yes. This is the Teferi test. You gotta, one creatures gotta have haste these days, man. Yeah. So this is a one colorless open-ended ability, meaning you can activate it as many times as you have the mana four. Another target creature with power two or less can't be blocked this turn. Mm. And one and a red tap. So you can only do it as often as you have this untapped. Discard your hand. Quite the price. Uh, until end of turn, whenever a creature you control with power two or less deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. A, so it's a lot of text. Oh, it's also a two, three body. So on, on, on the baseline, two mana red, two, three haste. Meh. You know, that's meh. The ability of making something unblockable, it has to be another creature, but that's kind of interesting. It's a persistent damage source. That kind of a effect isn't all over the place in standard, but it's also not so easily attached to an okay creature. That last ability, that last ability is a tap ability, and it does cost two more mana. But this creature itself has haste. You can use this the turn you play this creature if you want to. That so at five at the rate of like five mana, you can out of nowhere get this hand reload if you have a bunch of tiny creatures to throw at the opponent. This card it's not gonna take the place of Annex, I don't think, but I don't I don't think it's necessarily worse than the Phoenix of Ash. And I it's it's got a lot going on. I mean if 
If combat is a thing, if sneaking the last bits of damage underneath those large blockers is a thing, this card is definitely playable. It might be good. What do you think? Yeah, I think that this card feels to me like almost just an auto-include in these mono-red Cavalcade decks, which have been seeing a surprising resurgence. Like, Cavalcade seemed to lose out to like the bigger kind of a little bit more mid-rangey Embercleave red deck builds uh in standard for for a while now but we've seen a massive resurgence of cavalcade recently and i think that subira is pretty good in a cavalcade deck um definitely to help you keep your creatures alive while they force that power through and just as like something useful to do with your mana because i'll tell you what when your deck is filled with one drops, you run out of things to do with your mana very, very quickly. And so the typical play pattern you might see with a card like Subira is you drop her on turn four or five and you spend whatever spare mana you have to just get a couple of creatures through. And then at some point, like let's say you drop Subira on turn four and you spend a mana and you make some other creature unblockable and maybe you get in with Subira too who knows if the board state is is amenable to that but at that point you've probably emptied your hand or almost emptied your hand and then on the next turn if you like empty out you know your last hasty one one or something and you have an empty hand and you just tap Subira down and you make even one other creature unblockable, you're already drawing cards. And of course, if on any turn after that you have any number of creatures and Subira and what is essentially an empty hand, you can just start gassing up basically as much as you want to. So I think that Subira just adds a lot of play to these kind of cavalcade decks, which otherwise might, like, your creatures get brickwalled by bigger creatures, you run out of gas, your opponent just manages to get enough, whatever it is, they manage to slow you down enough, and I think Subira helps you to kind of get the job done. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to suggest this with a card of that is not red. Okay. Is, is this card nuts with Basariket? If you have any amount of attacking squad and bassery and you minus two and you double that squad <laughs> and you draw a million and you draw cards. a card, I mean, isn't that just good? Isn't I, I don't think that's win more. I don't think that's crazy. Isn't that just good? Uh, it's certainly good. I don't know if they go in the same deck. All right. Here's a, here's another one for you. You ever see those board states where the cycling deck has that 3-1 where they're cycling and they're making another 1-1 every single turn? Yeah, I mean, if the cycling deck cared about drawing cards at all, that would be pretty sweet. I mean, it's 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 just like draw it's like draw 6 or 7. You only have to have one or two of these in your deck. I mean, you're not wrong. It's a pretty sweet combo. I I definitely think that the yeah, I I think that just with the cards we have already in standard, there are plenty of interesting things to do with Subera. If you make Thopters, for example, if you make like flying tokens, you don't even need to like make them unblockable. You can just get in anyway. She has a lot of options. She has some very powerful text printed on her. She's a little weak. There are a few things about her that aren't great, but um, she's weak to a lot of the things that the decks that want to run her in a week to anyway you know what i mean so it's like you're not really paying a cost that you weren't already paying to try to win with a strategy like this i think the best thing about her is that just about every other deck besides aggressive 
the most aggressive red decks. I think all of them always have something to do with their mana, and I think red runs out, and I think this card just gives it that dimension where it doesn't really run out of stuff to do with the mana. You have to answer everything because everything's unblockable now. I mean, I think that's really solid. This card reminds me, it's not the same at all, but it reminds me a little bit of Pia Nalar from Kaladesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was the same kind of thing where like you'd put her down and she just, she had extra text that made the creatures in your deck more relevant and more interesting after she came down. She adds a lot of play. It's like... We've had these cards coming out lately that just give additional play to decks that were otherwise running out of gas. So like, you know, Adventure Creatures did it. There's just like a lot of stuff in Standard right now that just gives you more to do. So yeah, I think Subira, I don't know. I I think she's going to show up somewhere. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Spawweb Weaver. I I don't know if this card's good. I guess we're going to find out. Two and a green. Creature Spider at rare one for reach. Hexproof from blue, somehow. And uh, whenever Spawweb Weaver is dealt damage, you gain one life and create a 1-1 green sapling creature token. I don't know exactly what the Hexproof from blue is about. I guess it's Teferi protection, so you got that going. Yeah, passes the Teferi test. Everything should have it. Every three drop should have it. Really. It should. It it also, it it passes the Brazen Borrower (laughs) test. So this card kind of hoses Brazen Borrower on both Mm -hmm. sides. So that's, that's pretty sweet. Also, this, whenever it's dealt damage clause is, is not nothing. There are worse cards that you could resolve against an aggressive red aggro deck. Like, let's say your opponent does one of their classic things where they attack you with their Javier Dominguez you know, they try to, like, shock you or do something else to, to like, get that first strike and finish off your yeah, sport fer- web. Fervent champion. Fervent for champion, exactly. You're getting two one ones out of the deal when they do that. So I think red decks, red decks are going to struggle with this card a little bit. Whether it's worth running it in your sideboard just for that, I don't know. But that, the card's got text, I mean. I do think it's a pretty solid sideboard card for of various decks that don't really show up yet. And if that changes, good. I want to throw out there that if you play this card and you have a Mayhem Devil and a Cat and an Oven, you can crank out life and tokens every turn by pinging this (laughs) because the damage can come from anywhere. That's true. And then if you have a Subaru, oh, I'm sorry, Subiri, uh caravanner you can discard your hand and draw a card whenever these sapperlings hit the opponent oh baby we broke it we broke it (laughs) i I mean just saying so these are options if you have your if you have your raptor on turn two and into spawweb weaver on turn two like i mean on turn three you've already gained a life and made a made a sapperling right there (laughs) yeah yeah that's true marauding raptor marauding raptor right so anyway uh we have options we have options except the sapperling died just so you know the oh because it it, the sapperling gets killed because the sapperling gets killed (laughs) (laughs) nombo gotta love that all right well i'm gonna keep my eye on spawweb weaver it's probably gonna have a home at some point okay let's see what what are we looking at next i heard you talking about this on stream a little bit cgb why don't you tell us about thieves guild enforcer Ah, giving me the frickin' books of text. Okay, Thieves Guild Enforcer is a black human rogue 
rare one one with flash when thieves guild enforcer or another rogue enters the battlefield under your control each opponent mills two cards when thieves guild enforcer or another rogue enters the battlefield each opponent mills two cards okay so it triggers off itself and then you need robber the rich brazen borrower etc as long as an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard the thieves guild enforcer gets plus two plus one and has death touch so this card on it like without the last bit of text is a one mana flash for one that mills the opponent for two now if you add a bit more rogue synergy and or time to the mix for one mana you can get a flash three two death touch what I, so you heard me talking about this card, so you already know what I'm going to say a little bit. What what do you have to say about this card? Um, I basically agreed with, with your assessment that it just wasn't really good enough. A 1-1 flash that mills 2 is like the, the sadder side of underwhelming. This is a rare card, and it's like not even as good as some of the common 1-1s for 1 that we've seen in this set so far. So... Yeah. The bar is set, you know, like, like which card would you rather run in the average deck? This card or your Order of the Ebon Legion, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's a pretty massive power differential going on there. So, yeah. the, so if you can't turn on the three, t- you know, the, the plus two, plus one and death touch every single game that you play this card, it's just awful, unplayable garbage. Even if you do turn it on, is it that good? I, I almost so like this is the thing to what it would take for this card to be part of a key deck i think is at least two or three more very playable rogues in the two in the one two and three mana space so that the mill effect practically made turning it on free right now we have robber of the rich and we have rankle and i don't think i'd consider playing any of the other things so that's something to watch next for the last week of spoilers do we get other one mana and two mana rogues that are standard playable that we would want to play in an aggressive deck right because then turning this into a three two death touch might be free now here's the other problem it's death touch like if we're being aggressive we don't want our creatures getting blocked it's nice that they trade but we wanted to deal three damage if this had menace instead of death touch i would i would be much more into it but the fact that it only has death touch like it's sweet that has death touch and flash but it only has that when you have eight cards in the graveyard so if it had death touch and flash it would be really good but since it only has death touch sometimes it means that right now without better rogues around it it's a one one flash so we're watching for good stuff well and here's the problem it has conflicting incentives, right? So the flash mm-hmm. part makes you want to save it until you can flash it in at a relevant time. Unfortunately, it's not going to be relevant if you save it because you won't have milled. So, yes, you know, it's kind of like, ha-ha, you flash this in at the end of your opponent's first turn, right? And then you play a couple more rogues. And then, you know, eventually you built yourself a 3-2 death touch, right? But like... The flash didn't matter there. So then in order to really get value out of the flash, you're going to need the second one. And then, like you said, like what deck that's running a bunch of rogues wants to do a lot of blocking, which is really what this card is best for. So 
I'm I'm not feeling it. I just don't get it. Like I feel like if the mm-hmm. templating had been just a little bit de- like I don't quite know what the devs had in mind. Like I don't know what playtesting had in mind when they when they spoiled this card. Yeah, I I think clearly we need another like Demir Rogue that's good. Yeah. Because as as soon as you can play this in Demir Flash with Drown in the lock and that becomes a pretty neat pair of cards. We just we we need another Demir Rogue with Flash that's good, and then we can play it with Slither Wisp and draw a card when we cast it. And you know, just there's other things there, but it's it doesn't exist yet. So watch the spoilers. Watch the future spoilers. I kind of wish if it said target player mills two cards instead of each opponent mills two cards, it would be a better be awesome. card. Oh, it'd be awesome. Yeah, filling the graveyard is like we. Like how I can't believe how many decks are good in historic with no other cards but Stitcher Supply. Exactly. Like it's amazing. Exactly. So and need that. okay, the Gargoyle, Vantress Gargoyle hasn't really seen any play in standard, but I think one of the underrated aspects of that card is that it mills both players. And so when you're getting value from both sides of the equation, it makes cards like this a lot better. So yeah, that's kind of a that's a point against this card for me. But yeah, who knows? If if we check off like five boxes on the checklist and all of those things are taken care of, then maybe maybe this card becomes playable in the right deck. I hope so. A card which I think is gonna take less less work to get into a playable deck is Conclave Mentor. So this is green white, uncommon two two. Creature Centaur Cleric. If one or more plus one plus one counters will be put on a creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that creature instead. Plus one plus one plus one plus one. When Conclave Mentor dies, you gain life equal to its power, so that text doesn't matter. However, this card is like a gently worse than a card which has seen play in in multiple formats and was extremely powerful in its time which was winding constrictor things get out of hand very quickly when you build around conclave mentor and you have a cogent plan with it so i don't know are you as excited about this card as i am cgb well when i first saw it i i thought it was like the last gasp for greatness from green white tokens which like there's a curve with like this pelt collector, this card, and like a stone coil serpent, a raise the alarm, and a venerated loxodon for an absurd amount, an insane amount of power and toughness on turn three. Loxodon's what this card wants for sure. But it doesn't have to be that it doesn't have to be that crazy. It just has to be a two mana two two like this with pelt collector is nuts, right? It's it, it makes pelt collector a three three. A 3-3. Three, three. That's a sweet curve, man. Yeah, and then uh, the next thing with 4 power or more makes it a 5-5. Five, five. Um, that, so that's pretty nuts. But the all that this... Like, this with Bassery Ket mm-hmm. is a 4-4. Four, four. Mm-hmm. Indestructible attacking on turn 2. That's not a total joke. And this with Bassery's Lieutenant is, you know, still a pretty huge game because you can put the plus one, plus one counter on this or the lieutenant. Uh, if that Bastard's lieutenant is a five, six, I mean, that's really above rate. Yeah. So uh, it's an amplifier. Is the deck, is that deck good, right? That's what we're all waiting to see. Does that even matter in current standard? 
So I'll tell you what, I've been playing a deck which has been consistently hitting Mythic for people who are playing it. I've been on a tear with the deck lately. Mono Green in Standard is a real deck, man. It is a real deck. And just about every creature in that deck has some kind of counter synergy going on. I would splash white in that deck just to play this card. Okay. Just like you said, curving Pelt Collector into this card, into Yorvo, is, it's insane. It's, like, it's literally insane. You end up with a, I think, I'm pretty sure you end up with a 5-5 Pelt Collector and a 5-5 Yorvo on turn mm-hmm. three. And then whatever you play next turn, it's just off the charts. So like, so you had to have a temple garden to make that play, though. You did. That's, that's the you did. So that that's the downside, and it does. You know, running white does make a number of aspects of that particular deck worse. So you probably have to have other counter synergies in Selesnia to to make a build like that viable. And your you know Yorvo is attacks right? Like Yorvo is triple green. So. That's definitely like a Christmas land mana curve. But yeah, it's it, like Conclave Mentor has many, many, many possibilities. Constrictor was in a very particular format. So like, for example, we had the Verderous Gear Hulk in Standard, which is one of the reasons that Constrictor was a pretty good deck in Standard at the time. You do have to have certain payoffs that really make it worthwhile. Are you going to bust out the Hawatley's Raptor and Gird for Battle for this card? I don't know if that's the direction I would go in. I mean, that's one mana for four power and four toughness. Hawatley's Raptor specifically is a very... That is a very compelling card with the Mentor. And I think you do highlight that if you're running cards like that in your deck, you do need just ample sources to get the ball rolling to actually get those counters onto creatures. It's good for battle. Mm, I don't know if good for battle is playable outside of like uh, feather decks, right? Or or like Dreadhought Archimist style of decks. Maybe though. It, it sure is a lot. I mean, it's a lot going on. I, I don't deny that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Mentor plus Watley's Raptor. That that right there is a I think a pretty compelling combo. Just keep your eye on it. Like like if there are enough good cards that synergize these decks can be better than you think they are yeah and and the basri basri cat and basri's lieutenant are no joke with this card it does seem like there's ample support for this kind of stuff in the set so yeah like it doesn't take many more cards like once you have your mentor and your basri cat and your basri's lieutenant what like you don't need that many other cards to just totally get out of hand so i'm into it So CGB, the next card that we have coming up here that I think illustrates just how busted things might get with Conclave Mentor is Wildwood Scourge. Do you want to read this for us? Sure. (laughs) Wildwood Scourge is X Green Hydra at Uncommon, a whopping 0-0. That, in Hydra fashion, enters the battlefield with X plus 1 plus 1 counters. Whenever one or more plus 1 plus 1 counters are put on another non-Hydra creature you control, put a plus one plus one counter on Wildwood Scourge. So this is just an example of the kind of thing that you could put in your Conclave Mentor deck. I don't know, man. I don't like paying like below rate for something with a body that is above rate if conditions on the battlefield are perfect. 
Okay, that's fair. Like, maybe just worse than Stone Coil Serpent. I think so. I think it's worse than Stone Coil Serpent. But, I mean, I get what you're saying. It just sounds like... It sounds like my viewers who always want me to build a Hydra's Growth deck, and I always have to remind them that the card is not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And I mean, I, I, I mostly agree. I don't know, though. I think if your deck is going hard enough on the synergy, eh, a card like Wildwood Scourge might be surprisingly good. Maybe maybe not the, uh, not the X spell we were looking for in this particular case. So the next card I would talk about is Miscast. This is... A blue for an instant uncommon, and it says counter target instant or sorcery spell unless its controller pays three. So, what do you think of this card? My initial read on this card is like, why would we play this in a format where Mystical Dispute is legal? I don't know that this card's doing enough for us. I guess maybe like a a blue deck might play this out of the board against very targeted spells but i think i mean i'm like just gonna say it over and over again but this card's heinous against teferi and one of the main reasons mystical dispute sees so much play in our current format is that it's one of the only counter spells and it's one of the only blue interactive spells that can actually beat teferi by just countering it on the way in so i don't know i feel like miscast outside of some very very specific use cases i don't think it's gonna see play like like what's a better card miscast or spell pierce oh you're asking me spell pierce yeah by a wide margin right because being able to counter your opponents like liliana when they tap out for it or being able to counter your opponents elspeth conquers death when they tap out for it is big game so i i don't know what, what are you thinking about miscast i i just find it strange that we push enchantment types with an entire set in Theros, and it seems like Planeswalkers were pushed by War of the Spark, and it seems like the raid on creatures gets more and more insane as we tack more spells and keywords onto them. And then they create this card, which specifically hates on instants and sorceries, and it's like, did, did I miss something? When was the instant and sorcery set? You know, yeah, <laughs> when was yeah. the instant and sorcery themed set that this needed to keep in check? It, it seems like you're already pushing those cards out of formats wherever you can. And then this card is here just to make sure that the last bastion of sorcery hope in Casualties of War never gets to do anything cool. Well, and, and the thing is, like, even if you do have an instant sorcery set, like, let's say M21 is, is supposed to be that set. If we're taught, like, for example, a card that we spoke about the other episode, the Stormwing Entity, that gets better when you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it, it probably doesn't particularly care if its opponent played miscast against it, right? Because it already got its value. So let's say, like, Casualties of War was just dominating the format, then you could embarrass that card by putting miscast in your sideboard. Maybe, I don't know, if your opponent yeah. has freaking Nissa on the board, maybe they don't even care about miscast, right? Right. So, yeah, it just seems very, very narrow. I, I don't think this card sees play outside of a very, very specific set of circumstances in a very specific meta. Yeah, uh, not very high on it. Yeah, but this is the kind of card that like post-rotation could tick up a lot. No. No, we're off it. No. 
Nope. <laughs> I so um just a quick little can I quick little thing? There are I'll, we might get into this cuz you probably disagree with me and that's okay if you disagree with me, but generally when somebody says post rotation this could be a thing, for the most part that means the card is actually bad and we should probably focus on the cards that are good post rotation and maximizing those not circle back to cards that were bad and might be a little better. So like when people are, are telling me, well, once to fairy rotates, you know, this card will be good. It might be playable. That's a big difference from being good because when Teferi rotates, probably what I'm going to try to figure out is if Teamer Adventures is just busted or if Cat Oven is still nuts because those things are already good, you know? Those things might become great. I want to focus on that kind of stuff. So the more people look at new cards and say, well, you know, after rotation, I'm like, all you're saying is it's bad. (laughs) And you probably should focus on other cards. You know, I neither strongly agree nor strongly disagree with you on this point. I think that we're living in strange times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some cards have too much influence, right? I I get that. Under ordinary circumstances, I totally agree with you. Like in your typical rotation, I totally agree with you. I think we're living in rarefied air at the moment. And so I think some of those claims are a little bit more relevant than they otherwise would have been. Well, I think if something can't hang with the cards in Throne of Eldraine now, it won't later. That's my, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I I think you're right. Like Throne of Eldraine is kind of our litmus test for post-rotation, right? Because... So so it's like War of the Spark and Eldraine are our current litmus test for, for the current standard, right? And so once one of those gets out of the equation, then then you do have to evaluate based on Eldraine. And and I would agree with you that Miscast is still not very good against the throne of Eldraine set specifically. Although it does, you know, it, it gives you the ability to counter basically an adventure creature for one mana, which meh, maybe. Miscast might actually be pretty good against the Adventures deck, but actually it probably wouldn't because they just run the freaking hour. I mean, the uh, Lucky Clover, so it just doesn't matter. Wow, you copied one of the copies of the spell. Yeah, yeah, A exactly. plus, dude. A plus. <laughs> you and got that, You know, they, they really don't care whether they get the creature on the backside either, so... Okay, let's talk about a card which I think actually could see some standard play. Liliana's Standard Bearer. Do you want to read this to us? This is two in a black for a zombie knight that is rare. It's a 3-1 creature. It has flash. And when Liliana's standard bearer enters the battlefield, you draw X cards, where X is the number of creatures that died under your control this turn. Ooh. I'm kind of feeling this card. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Where would you play it? How would it work? I think you have so many options with this card. Like, this card just gives you so many things you could do like you could play it in any cat oven deck easily any deck that runs woe strider you could consider playing this card three one flash end of your opponent's turn scry with woe strider draw a card off of this is i think that's already basically good enough you wouldn't play it if that was the only thing you could do with it Speaking of Priest of the Forgotten Gods shenanigans, how about, you know, sacking two creatures, drawing a card, putting that mana into casting Liliana's Standard Bearer, drawing two more cards? Wow, that's uh, that's not bad. <laughs> and then, never mind, let's say, you know, you play a couple threats in the early game, and then on your opponent's Wrath turn, 
you have your mana floating. And they're like, great, if I cast my Wrath, my opponent's going to get like minimum two cards, like two cards out of the equation, and they're going to be pressuring me with a 3-1 attacker the next turn as well. So these are just a few of the situations in which I think Liliana's standard bearer could... It can make life really hard for your opponent. It can make their combat decisions difficult. I just think like there's enough going on here. Or even like imagine in like a John Food deck, you have your dream wombo combo and you have like your mayhem devil out and you've got your triggers going off and you gun down like a couple of your opponent's creatures and you're feeling good about how you spent your mana that turn. And end of turn, they're like Liliana's standard bearer, draw two cards. It's like, okay, you manage the board, but like you just gave your opponent a bunch of cards and spent like all of your mana and all of your sacrifices. Um, so yeah, I think Liliana's Standard Bearer just, it, it gives you so many options. You can do so many things with it and it makes your opponent's life very hard to play around. What are you thinking about it? I think in a lot of circumstances, this is significantly better than Midnight Reaper. Mm, good call. Uh, and I, I think a big reason for that is the flash just the flash ability in general and it's so easy to cast just one black and two colorless it's it's not a very high price it's mana that you can easily hold available but the thing with the reaper is you had to commit it to the board and then you put your opponent in the squeeze or if they do sweep the board you get to draw cards but they don't have to sweep the board right now unless you played really strong creatures if there's a dread horde butcher hitting the opponent they probably have to figure out how to sweep the board but most of the time they have time to deal with the Reaper first. You know, they'll like bounce the Reaper and then you have to replay it uh, with, you know, you know who. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in that time that it takes for that for you to replay the Reaper and try to get this set up, they can play Elspeth Conquers Death, exile it, and then they sweep your board. You know, they, they just buy some time or they bounce it and then they counter it, something like that. And with this card, the ability to have Flash puts it in such a better position because you can play it, but you don't have to. And you can sacrifice your own creatures to Woe Strider or Cat Oven, and then you can play it, but you don't have to. You can always just have this threat of refilling your hand, or you can just run it out there for the damage. Narset's pretty cruel to this card until you remember that you can just flash this in and attack the Narset. So instead of Narset completely hosing you, you can flash this in, kill the Narset, and then maybe your next standard bearer is better. And uh, Midnight Reaper was not a May. You had to pay that life yes, and draw that card. the life sucked. Yes, the life in an aggressive meta, especially in best of one, was significant. Like, I'm sure you've had these times when your opponent had two of them on the field, and you were like... You're so dead. <laughs> you know? for, for, and for what it's worth, this card, you can cast it. And then if you do something like put the trigger on the stack and throw it in the oven, you do get the card. Um, so, yeah, full, full control mode club checking in. But so there are, there's, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of good things. God, this card with Mothra... And a woe strider. Oh, now you're dreaming. Oh, now you're thinking oh, oh. big. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love this card. I think it's great. 
I do too. I do too. And and I think the key here, which both of us have spoken about, is just flexibility. Like we want our cards to give us options. We want our cards to be good in multiple situations. Liliana's standard bearer really covers us. And here's the thing is that I think people are going to get used to wanting to flash this in and be tricky. But you can just attack your opponent, make some trades in combat, and just play it second main. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your opponent's playing black, you're playing red. You make some attacks, you make some trades. Felt good, right? And then your opponent just lays down the standard bearer, and you're like, great, they drew two cards, and what did I get out of it? Yeah, cards great. Gonna keep an eye on it. Almost certainly gonna show up in lists. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome. All right, we've got a bunch of different arts. Approximately how much alternate art is there in this set? Because infinite alternate art that's the <laughs> future all, all the time everywhere this card stood out to me and i liked it and so i'm going to talk about it ranger's guile one black instant target creature you control gets plus one plus one and gains hex proof until end of turn so is this card veil of summer no it's not even remotely as good as veil of summer but i don't know i think like like my mono green deck could definitely be interested in running a card like this in certain matchups. So I don't even really know there's much else to say about it. It's just that this is a one mana protect my creature, buff my creature, and uh, that can be pretty good sometimes. Yeah, this card is fine. I'm Blossoming Defense was better, strictly Agreed. better, and then they reprinted kind of the lower one in a power creep format, which is strange, but this card still might matter in occasional spots it'll get somebody that's for sure if you're building a budget aggro deck like you know you're free to play player or you're just warming up to standard you will get some people if you run some rangers guile definitely and you know you're right blossoming defense was a substantially better card but like blossoming defense saw a surprising amount of play that was a it really was a role player in the standard that that card was in and this card is basically that card minus. So that card was the same card, but plus two, plus two. So this is most of a blossoming defense. These cards are good. You should consider playing them in your green decks. Do we need to talk about Brash Taunter? I, I mean, it's a rare and it's a goblin. I'm sure some people are here for it. Okay, why don't you take us through this one? I don't... Okay, fine. <laughs> What have I done? Uh, Brash Taunter is four in a red for a goblin rare with indestructible. And can, I, I believe this is a 1-1 one, one creature, but I need to confirm because you need to scroll. Thank you. It's a 1-1 one, one creature, and whenever Brash Taunter is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target opponent. And for two in a red, Brash Taunter fights another creature. So you get five mana for a 1-1 indestructible that the more damage you deal to it, the more the opponent takes. I, this is, why five mana? Is this just going straight into your Star of Extinction deck and there you go? I, uh, God, historic memes. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not playing this. But I, I would want to point out that it is fight another target creature. Unlike many fight mechanics, you can fight your own creatures. So if you control an impervious Great Worm, you can dome your opponent for 16. Uh, so that's a thing, I guess. Why did they decide this card needed to cost 5 mana? Couldn't this card have cost 3 mana and still be like fringe playable? 
Three or four, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I'm wondering. Apparently, they are being really cautious with this ability. It's not something that they've put on something like this. The the deal damage to target opponent has been tested, but never with a fight built in. But yeah, this... Unless I'm missing something, this card looks bad. Here's one thing I will say about this card. Let's say you're playing like a big green creature deck and your opponent manages to get a Brash Taunter down, you know, and you're like, you're looking at your 6-6 Yorvo or whatever, and you're like, man, like, do I really want to attack into that thing? So, yeah. Yeah, that is part of the equation for sure. I mean, when this thing's on blocks, you're going to feel pretty bad about it, but five mana, two, it's just too many mana. Uh, let's talk about Kaevek the Spiteful. This this creature interests me. Two black black, legendary creature human warlock at rare. It is a 3-2. Other creatures, not not your opponent's creatures, there's no qualifier. Other creatures get minus one, minus one. Are we in for this card? Uh, I, I'm trying to think of where this is good. And I'm struggling because four mana is a lot. Three, two bodies, super vulnerable. So I'm thinking that when this hits the battlefield, it has to like either wipe out a lot of the opponent's creatures or it has to invalidate a key part of their strategy. Yes, I know somebody's going to be like, Cat Oven, we finally did it. We finally stopped the cat. But I mean, the sacrifice effect is most of what makes that good. So just the cat still enters the battlefield. It still sacrificed the food. Trail crumb still triggers. Mayhem devil still triggers. So none of that feels like I'm stopping that deck. And otherwise, the the theoretical tokens deck that we keep talking about possibly existing doesn't seem that realistic. If the if the three one indestructible, you know, if that card uh, discard a card to make this three one creature indestructible, I forgot the name that's in the set. If that card is widespread, this is an answer. But the fact that it hits all creatures is weird. I, I'm not feeling this card you know i think you bring up a good point this card could be good against like exactly something like a selesnia tokens deck that's aiming to make a bunch of one ones and go wide and stuff like a deck that doesn't run much removal which is also leveraging a bunch of one ones it also fails to cast venerated loxodon or unbreakable formation yeah completely. see this is the problem right is that plus one plus one counters are a thing and any deck putting counters on tokens this card's going to be woefully inadequate against so yeah yeah the more we talk about it the worse it looks somebody's gonna spark double it <laughs> if you can't resolve this and immediately just like wrath your opponent's board then it's, it's probably a no-go Okay, I'm I'm super interested in this one, CGB. Do you want to read Niambi, esteemed speaker, for us? Sure. Niambi, esteemed speaker, is a white and a blue for a two-one legendary creature, human cleric at rare. Flash. When the esteemed speaker enters the battlefield, you may return another creature you control to its owner's hand. If you do, gain life equal to that creature's converted mana cost. And for one, a white and a blue, there's a tap ability. Discard a legendary card. Draw two cards. This is a heck of a weird card, man. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot going on here. That whole legendary line of text is just like a real... That's a real curveball on this card. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess that the joke here is something like you play a legendary creature, you get some value out of it, you flash this in, return it to your hand, you discard that legendary card and draw two. Yeah, uh, works with Fibble Fib the Lost. You saw a lot of cards. Oh, there you go. All right, we we did it. We broke the format. <laughs> I I don't know. That sounds a bit dirtily to me. This it, it sounds like an interesting card to throw into Blink, and it's kind of neat that it can save a creature. You know, it can, it can just save something from a removal spell or a bad situation. Just having a two-one flash human isn't on its own completely terrible. The discarding a legendary card is potentially flavor texty, quite honestly, because it is really expensive. You can use it as your third turn, but there are a few things to keep in mind here. You can discard Uro, and and then Uro's ready to escape from the graveyard. So that's that's kind of a take along with Fipple Fib the Lost. Return another target creature you control. I'm thinking of like Knight of Autumn. There's there's various things. It's not. It's not completely terrible. I want to take it to Historic just really quick, because this card with Mox Amber is kind of sick. Yes. Yeah, I was totally thinking about this whole, like, Historic, Legendary, Kethys, etc., etc., all of these decks, right? There's got to be something there. Emery, Mox Amber, this card is, like, a lot of Graveyard going on. Like, a ton of Graveyard is going on there. And actually, you know, so this is pretty sweet. You're often casting Emery for one blue mana. And then if you're returning Emery to your hand and gaining three life and then casting it again for one blue mana, it's like, it's a pretty good transaction on the mana front. Mm -hmm. So things like that can end up really mattering, can buy you time to get your combo off. You know, a lot of these combo decks just need another turn. And I think night, like... Let's say your opponent attacks you with some creatures, you block one of them with Emery, you flash in Niambi, return it to your hand, you've prevented that damage and gained three life. I don't know, it's just like a lot of lot of options here. I also really like the idea of resetting an adventure creature. Ooh, so if yeah. I bounce my Brazen Borrower and I get to use Petty Theft again and I gain three life from that transaction, that seems definitely useful. Um, there's the position of bouncing your dream trawler for six freaking life and then wrathing the board (laughs) it's pretty good i mean how many times i don't know how many i don't know about you i play a lot of blue white decks and i often have a dream trawler on the battlefield with a shatter in hand yeah i don't mm, yeah this it's interesting Uh, this card does have one of the nicest so a lot of the problem with running cards like this is drawing multiples of them and niambi takes care of that pretty handily so yeah, that's true. You just pitch another copy for two cards yep. on its own. It's kind of threatening to do that. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's enough going on that like this this is worth considering. Two one flash creatures for two mana that do interesting things. Like you shouldn't count them out because if this card blanks a removal spell and gains you life and gives you another enter the battlefield trigger off of something relevant you really got a lot of value. And then, like, let's say oh, yeah. next turn you untap and you use Niambi's ability and you discard another Niambi and draw two. Niambi just did a whole heck of a lot for you right there. So pretty pretty cool. All right, another a, a tricky card, which I think you're going to see more of than you think you will, is uh, Unsubstantiate. This is one and a blue instant. Return target spell or creature to its owner's hand. It reminds me of Ether Gust, 
Now, it's not as good as Ether Gust because it doesn't blank your opponent's draw step if they decide to keep the card, and it doesn't remove it from relevancy if they decide to not keep the card. However, the ability for Unsubstantiate to hit things that aren't just red or green is pretty big, and this can be a massive tempo play, and it's also a very flexible card. I remember last time Unsubstantiate was in Standard, uh, you know, it, like it didn't see a ton of play, but cards like this can can just generate an incredible amount of tempo. Like, do you think there's a place in the Standard format for Unsubstantiate? No. All right, you're off it. I'm way off this card. I I, I think... It's a trap. Um, the value in Aether Gust is the card the opponent doesn't get to draw. It's either a removal spell or they don't get their next draw step. Like, this this is not an even card. The tempo is nice, but you can generate that in other ways, in my opinion. Like, playing proactive cards that are good instead of holding up mana to spend two mana to maybe stop one of their things. I just... The, the last time this was in standard, I don't think it was good there. And I think this standard is 100% more pushed than, like, like two to 300% more pushed than that standard. I, I honestly believe that. So, like, compare this to Tyrant Scorn. How much play does Tyrant Scorn see? Just about nothing. Yeah, but Tyrant Scorn can't, like, pro, like, you can put an opponent's counter spell back in their hand without substantiate. That's pretty who cool. Who cares? But who cares? Like it, it might you, matter you, a lot, man. Like this is spent... <laughs> I don't know. Like, like what two like, mana? I think winning winning counter wars is one of the reasons this is a cool card, you know? I, I think the best case scenario is you're talking about a situation where you have five mana, you play Teferi, they play a counter spell, and you bounce the counter spell, and now they're stuck with it, and Teferi's on the board. Exactly. Now that sounds cute, but the counter spell that they're playing is Mystical Dispute. So they cast it again because it only costs them one freaking mana, dude. That's true. I mean, that's a good point. But, like, Mystical Dispute can't bounce your opponent's creature, so like a resolved creature you know what i mean so like i don't know but how often do you, how often do you want to play a bounce spell on its own like look at you could play brazen borrower instead of this card and get most get that effect would yeah. you rather have a free three one i would but but brazen borrower can't prevent your opponent from casting a counter spell you know so it's i don't know like <laughs> these, these I, games that you're talking about like <laughs> nobody plays them Nobody. How much Narset's reversal is getting played? That's better than bouncing a counter spell. Comparison. (laughs) You don't. No, you're talking about a mode of this card that you think is great, and Narset's reversal is a better version of this in that position. The the whole reason this card is good is that you have both sides of the equation, right? Like that's that's the flexibility is nice. If it said target permanent, I would be close to the same page, but it doesn't. It says target creature or spell. That's fair. Like if you could. return an opponent's Nissa to their hand after they'd resolved it. Like, yeah, maybe we're talking, but... I'm not saying no one will play it. I'm saying no one should. <laughs> okay, okay, that's a fair assertion. Yeah, I, I think that this card, like, I'm definitely not advocating that you should play it a lot, but I don't know, like, in, in matchups where tempo is important, this card can be very annoying, and it can you can get owned pretty hard by this card, so keep keep an eye out for it. Okay, so... My current nominee for the most broken card in this set is the next card that I want to talk about, which is Discontinuity. 
which, if cast on your turn, we'll get to it in a second, is the same cost as Unsubstantiate. So you can tell me which of these is better after I read this card. Oh, please do. <laughs> Discontinuity is three blue, 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 six mana total for an instant at Mythic Rare. As long as it's your turn, this spell costs two blue, blue, less to cast, which reduces it to the same cost as Unsubstantiate, one and a blue, as long as it's your turn. So... Then the following text is one simple sentence and a period followed by a book of reminder text, which I'm going to read to you as well, because I'm going to mess this up. End the turn, period. That's it. End the turn. Now, here's some rem- now if you've never played with this effect, it's actually really counterintuitive. Like <laughs> I, I never get this right, so I'm going to read the reminder text. Exile all spells and abilities from the stack. Including this card. (laughs) The player whose turn it is discards down to their maximum hand size, damage wears off, and this turn and end of turn effects end. So, oh boy, is there a lot that you can do with this card. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I think you better just open the floodgates. Give us, like, from the ground up, what is this good with and how would it work? Just as an example to get people's brains spinning around this. Okay, so clearly you're you're playing discontinuity in a deck that wants to go long. Okay, so we're going to start with that. Like you're not playing this in like your random blue-white flash deck. You're not playing this in most decks. The kind of decks that run discontinuity are the kind of decks which are happy to untap like have your opponent untap in the mid game and and be interacting this is not a card that necessarily jumps right into existing archetypes however this card is so powerful it is absolutely worth seeing what you can do okay give me a situation blow blow it out come on Give, give the people an idea all right off the dome all right your opponent untaps plays casualties of war you play discontinuity. Not only do you counter their six mana spell, but you just end their turn. They're done. Mm-hmm. You untap. You get to do whatever you want. All right. Yeah. If they didn't plus a planeswalker, they don't get to plus that planeswalker. If they didn't attack with a creature, they don't get a chance to attack with a creature. Yep. Okay. Next thing. At the end of your turn, your wilderness reclamation, your your team Iraq opponent tries to. Oh, I- Oh Ex- yeah! Explosion, you? Nah, it's done. Like they cast the spell, and they don't get anything. The turn is over. Oh can my I, god! Can I throw? Like, can I throw you another one on that? Lay I'm, I'm going to throw you another one. The opponent floats all their mana with their wilderness reclamation oh, trigger on the stack, and the, the trigger stack. goes on the stack. And you end the trigger, <laughs> and all the mana is gone. Savage, dude. They're that tapped out. Savage. They're tapped out, and they have nothing, assuming they did not counter this. That's so busted. Here's another example. Your opponent your opponent taps a zillion mana and puts Hydroid Crasis on the stack. Nope. That's right. They don't get the Crasis, they don't get the cards, and they also don't get the rest of their turn. Correct. Um, the opponent ultimates... They're Liliana. Snap. Targeting <laughs> yes. you to sacrifice all your permanence, but you discontinuity <laughs> and the tr- and the ultimate trigger never resolves. Oh, I love it. All right. But I mean there's so, there's also the Timmy side, right? Chance for glory. Yes. 
Yes, I was going to talk about that next. So, so there are some specific ways to abuse the you um, the on your turn effect, mm -hmm. because remember you call you cast this for one on a blue on your turn. So you can play any number of cards that have the text "you lose the game" on them. Yeah, counted for two mana on your upkeep. Counted for two mana whenever that trigger goes on the stack. Nope, not going to happen. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, on the upkeep with like a card like Demonic Pact, but that's not ideal because you never get your draw step. But yeah, that 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 is a thing you can do with Chance for Glory. I learned this today. If you end the turn, Chance for Glory gives all your creatures indestructible. It doesn't say until end of turn. It's permanent. Wait, really? Yeah. Read the card. It doesn't say your creatures gain indestructible until end <laughs> of turn. I did not know that. The creatures are indestructible for the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of that's, genius. That's not a joke. That is for real. Oh, I love um, it. So not, I think that one of the best interactions for this card is Shark Typhoon. Mm, when I the opponent cycles Shark Typhoon on your turn, you can play discontinuity. They don't draw a card and they don't get a shark. Yes, I love it. And I mean, granted, you have to be willing to end your turn there, but... But that's your end step. Uh, there's probably nothing to lose. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so here's a few other things that happen. In Historic, you can exile Nexus of Fate. Oh, snap. That's so amazing. That's so amazing. Okay, you can also cast this in response to an opponent's... Uh, not necessarily that you would play this in your creature deck, but let's say your opponent tries to settle the wreckage you or something. You can just be like, eh, I'm noping out of this combat step, right? Yeah, for any number of reasons you can get out of combat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, like another example, your red opponent, you know, they have a bunch of stuff on the board. You know, like this is the Ember Cleave turn, right? Or this is the turn, like this is a big combat turn, whatever. And like your opponent puts their Ember Cleave on the stack, like they drain their stuff off of the um uh, the, steam the steamkin or something right you can just declare a bunch of blocks your opponent can do a bunch of stuff they're like haha you're dead and you're like with your embercleave on the stack i end the turn your embercleave gets exiled i untap you're dead you know like you're tapped out you're done yeah we are talking about six mana for those things but this it isn't is. completely undoable and i think in any situation where the opponent's trying to interact with your turn when if the opponent's playing an interactive deck of any kind the ability to do it for two mana on your turn is kind of disgusting it's and disgusting. i think it, it will affect the way that the game is played quite frankly like suddenly flash cards become much less appealing if you can't also counter discontinuity and for example I don't think anybody will ever like hold up their activation of Priest of the Forgotten Gods and then do it on your turn. Oh, because snap. if they do, yeah. it's like, oh, sacrifice these two creatures, target you with like three Mayhem Devil triggers, target you with Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Oh, discontinuity. I end my turn. None of that happens. No card for you. No mana. And your creatures are in the bin. It's... it's, it's 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 pretty crazy. It's so good. It's so good. So I'm a little bit worried about this card. I I mean, it's expensive. I assume that they play tested it. However, how many times have we said that in the past? Right? Come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> and yeah, the the on your turn thing. When I when I saw that cost reduction on your turn, and I saw how much of the cost reduction it was, that was an eyebrow raiser for me. If this card is not banned in some format within a month of it being in circulation, I will be very much surprised. I think it won't be. Do but you not I think might so? be wrong. I, I I think that the I think it has the right kind of broken where. All you have to do is play awkwardly. Play spells that you would normally play on your opponent's turn on your turn instead. You know? Like, I I think that there's agency here, and it just forces players to adjust if this is a popular card. But we'll see. I might be wrong. Yeah. One final thing to note is that if you have six mana, you can put a stop on your opponent's upkeep. You can cast this spell. You you time walk them, and, like, they don't draw a card. You know? That's true. yeah, it's just oh yeah. And and a, another final thing is that let's say that you're playing against an opponent who is doing some kind of like I cast a spell, draw draw twenty cards, do a bunch of other things before my turn ends. You can actually cast them out. Let's say they cast a, a big spell, they draw a bunch of cards, they have a bunch of mana floating. When they do anything else that triggers the stack, they resolve their first spell. You can just nope them out of their turn, and they not only do they lose whatever they had on the stack and whatever mana, whatever they had, they have to discard to hand size as well. So anyway, you're just going to hear people talking about a zillion, billion, bajillion different things that you can do with this card that totally wreck your opponent's life. Like we already did. I, I feel like we over invested like 20 minutes into that. Yeah, yeah. But I just think this is a card for the ages, man. Like people are going to be talking mm-hmm. about this card. This is like a nexus of fate power level of cards. So I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Do you want to read for us Terror of the Peaks and explain why this card isn't going to see play in standard? Three red, red, five, four flying dragon. Spells your opponents cast that target Terror of the Peaks cost an additional 3 life to cast. When another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Terror of the Peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target. Alright, so the reason that this won't be very good is, number one, it doesn't say spells or abilities, just spells. If it did say or abilities and change the wording so that it didn't say cost... Maybe. I don't know if you can do that with abilities. I think an ability costing an additional three life is reasonable, but basically fails the Teferi test, fails the Elspeth Conquers Death test, probably most relevantly here. And the other reason this won't see play is because they banned Fires of Invention, because that would have been freaking sweet. That would have been nuts, for sure. Yeah, this is this is just like that green one that we were talking about, which has a bunch of text and it doesn't have the text that matters, right? That's right. Because, yeah, I mean, you untap with this thing and obviously it's nuts. Cool art, cool card. I love the name. Yeah. I love the art. It's a nice dragon. It, it's it's a really cool card. Now, obviously, if they'd given if they'd like kept this text box and given this card haste, it would be insane. So, of course, they didn't do that. But... 
They're pushing it, man. This is what Wizards is trying to find out. How much text can they put on cards that don't pass the standard test? The standard test is that your creature either needs to like have haste or it needs to just do something very meaningful the turn that it comes into play if it costs five mana. So they're pushing mm-hmm. it. They're like, how big, how nasty, how powerful, how sweet can we make our cards to where people will just risk tapping out for this thing and saying go? Right. I'd also say it would be nice if it was a 5-5. Five, five. Four damage dies to Storm's Wrath. <laughs> yeah, I know. Could four damage given dies that to, to Grasp of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. four toughness. Like, this dying to, like, Lava Coil is going to feel pretty bad. Yeah, too bad, Terror of the Peaks. We wanted to know you better. Mm-hmm. Let's touch on Speaker of the Heavens briefly. You can. That is a life gain card, and I think those suck. You just, you don't, you're not in for it. All right, so the only reason this interested me... I'll read the card. One white for a 1-1 creature-human cleric at rare. Vigilance lifelink. Tap. Create a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying. Activate this ability only if you have at least 7 life more than your starting life total, and only any time you could cast a sorcery. So I'm not necessarily arguing that this card is good. The only thing I want to note is that 7 life is not actually very much life to have higher than your starting life total. I've played against these life gain decks that pretty easily get up to 35 and activate a Johnny. So even like, and I've won those games. That that's 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 my point. <laughs> well, well, totally right. Like I've beat the pants off of those decks. Okay, but it's just it's not that much life, and you get free angels. And so, okay, maybe this creature is easy to kill. Maybe it's a meme. Maybe it's dumb. Maybe it's whatever. But I just like seven life is is it's not hard to get there. So that's kind of why I'm interested in this card. If I shock you after you've tapped the creature, do you still get the angel? That's a great question. I'm guessing that it it's one of those check on what is it? Check on effect, check on resolution, something like that. I think because of where the period is, it's not going to check on resolution, it checks on activation. Interesting. Which, why didn't you shock the 1-1 one, one moron? Anyway. <laughs> no, it's a good point, though. It's a good point. It's, it's probably going to come up. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, maybe this life life gain thing is just a meme, but eh, I don't know. That's, that's a lot of angel for not a lot of additional life. CGB's off the life gain, so maybe I'll skip over this Griffin Airy. No, I won't. I want to read it. <laughs> I can't believe you skipped the one before it if you're going to talk life gain. That card's almost good. Oh, yeah? Okay, let's talk about this one briefly then. Do you want to read it for us? It's a Silver's Moat Ghoul. This is two and a black for a zombie vampire. Please notice both types. That's pretty hype. They don't usually put them together. This is a 3-1 creature. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, return the ghoul from your graveyard to the battlefield. Yeah, that's pretty Not nice. Not your hand. And for one and a black open-ended, so you, you don't need, you can do this without summoning sickness, sacrifice the ghoul to draw a card. Here's, here's the thing about this card, all right? I want for this card to be rare, and I want for it to cost one last generic mana, and then I'm in. You want it to be two mana for a 3-1, and you want it to be rare, and then you're in. I think for three mana, this card's not good enough, even if you have a strong, like, white, I mean, strong life gain deck. So I here's the thing. I don't play life gain decks. Those can go straight to the trash, and I don't plan to pay three mana for this card. Yeah, three mana's the, the problem. 
I plan to get this directly into the graveyard. Oh, okay. So you mill it. And then it, get and then, it back. Yeah. You, yeah, you either mill it or discard it, right? Yeah. I mean, because in any of these like cat food decks, gaining three life is trivial. Oh, um, yeah. Just eat a food token. Yeah. I mean, yep. I mean, you can do, like, can't you do a loop, sack this to the oven, make a food, sack the food, get it back? Yeah. If you want to, um, it does return at the beginning of the end step. So you can't do it multiple times in a turn, but you're like, oh, and this can just be, step, so that's yeah, the, yeah. yeah, this can just be a constant presence and the ability to sacrifice it to draw a card. There's worse things than turning your food tokens into cards. Not to mention if you have multiples of these in the graveyard, like getting back two or three, three ones. I was like, I was saying, um, I've been watching pro tour shadows over Innistrad. There's this card called prized amalgam that whenever yes. something leaves the graveyard, it triggers and comes back. And it was a three, three that, that came back. Tapped. Oh my gosh. It's like out of nowhere. It just generates these battlefields. This card has some of that going and gaining three life. Let me just throw it out there. Uro. Oro, there you go. Did it? Sultai I mean, nonsense. Also, is great with a full graveyard, right? Tamio, mm -hmm. three mana Ashiok, Meyer Triton, like lots of ways to get the stuff in the yard. So now when I play Uro, I get a free three one or two or three of those. That's not bad. Not bad. Yeah, not and bad. And I think it's better than the next card. Well, so let's read this next card. Griffin Airy, one and a white enchantment. Uncommon. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a 2-2 white griffin creature token with flying. The card this reminds me of is Drakehaven. Yes. Which, I don't, I don't think Drakehaven ever quite got there, did it? Like, it showed up in like one or two decks that were maybe like tier two in standard. It never really got there, but this card's... Because of, like, Uro specifically, this card's way better than Drakehaven because you don't have to pay a mana for yeah. the Drake. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And and you can, like, you can trigger it once per turn, not just on your turn. Okay, again, maybe this hypothetical mm, life gain deck it, isn't a it, thing. It is beginning of your end step. Oh, of your end step, okay. So, yeah, so you're right. It has to be on your turn. It does have to be on your turn, so that makes it worse. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I want to believe in this card. I think the effect is pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I think that this card, I, I give it crap and I do hate life gain decks, but this is the kind of value I want, kind of a reoccurring free effect every turn. That is a lot better to me than counters on an Ajani's Pride Mate, which everybody else seems to go get absolutely giddy about. Um, I'm not into one big cat. I want a bunch of free drakes to block that cat while I progress another game plan. So, okay. So here's the question, CGB. All right. One on a white mana, make a 2-2 two -two flying creature. If that was the card, would it be good enough? One in a white mana, make a 2-2 two -two flying creature. Nope. Not good enough for standard. All right. One on a white mana, make two 2-2 two, two flying creature tokens. Good enough for standard? Absolutely. Okay. So all we need to do is trigger this thing twice over the course of an entire game, and it was good enough. Which Uro kind of does by itself. Which Uro <laughs> does by itself, right? I mean, if you resolve this card on turn two, your opponent doesn't take care of it, and you just play like a normal Oro game in which you like cast one or more Oros from your hand and recur one or more Oros from the graveyard, you've made like four to eight Griffin tokens over the course of that game. Yep. 
So, I mean, that's pretty good. You don't have to have that much more incidental life gain in your deck, which cards and standards seem to have. And this, this is oh, a yeah. cheap card, so I'm kind of feeling it. Yeah, it could be interesting. It doesn't necessarily pass the Teferi test in that it's a very annoying card. If they bounce it, you have to replay it yeah. and then try to get value. But yeah, it's, it's cheap, also, though. it passes the Elspeth Conqueror's death. <laughs> it does. Doesn't pass the gem raiser test, which uh, no, is becoming <laughs> fairly relevant in standard these you days. You mono green mages, you think the world revolves around that little mono green world? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. All I can tell you is that I was watching coverage of the players tour this weekend, and I saw gem raiser after freaking gem raiser on the battlefield. That card is a house. I'm not saying you're lying. I'm not saying that. But I am an unabashed green mage. Now, speaking of unabashed green mages, let's talk about this next card, because I actually think this card is is pretty sweet. Animal oh. Sanctuary. Oh, man. You're not feeling it? He's not feeling go, it. Go on, go on. Go okay, on. land, rare. You can tap two out of colorless mana, or you can pay two and tap it to put a plus one, plus one counter on target bird, cat, dog, goat, ox, or snake. Dinosaurs were ignored. Yeah, dinos were, it, were this, an oversight, This card right? would have been Jurassic Park, man. This is clearly not where Kahira hangs out. This is clearly Isle Nebula, and <laughs> they missed it. All I'm saying is, I think that this card's better than it looks. That's all I'm saying. Oh yeah, you got some oxen looking for some counter juice? I mean, the oxen are admittedly an under-supported tribe in magic. I'm thinking more about birds i think that there are plenty of birds that would love to wear a counter yorian we did it oh finally yorian is (laughs) playable yorian is playable guys game tell tell the world this card reminds me of what was that card it was like during one of those eldrazi sets and it had a similar effect and you could put a plus one plus one counter on a colorless creature oh man Uh... ah That not card. playable. It wasn't playable. Yeah, not really. it was. Nope. Yeah, it nope, was. Nope, 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 nope. People nope, played that nope. card. That They shouldn't have. <laughs> okay. Look, well, and this card's the same thing. That's, it, that's just you, like your you, opinion, man. You can't afford, especially if you're in a creature deck, you can't afford to miss a drop because your mana produced the wrong freaking color. You can't. And this is three mana to put a counter on something. Three mana for a plus one, plus one counter. You rolled your eyes, mister, at Geared for Battle, adding four plus one, plus one counters for one mana. But sign this boy up for three mana for one plus one, plus one counter on a weird creature type. You get it every turn, my friend. I would rather pay one mana for four of them than 12 mana for four of them over the course of four turns. <laughs> Call me crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I think this card's sweet, man. And, and I'm all about those birds. I think that getting, getting those counters on your flyers is going to be sweet. This card is trash. Okay. So Arjuna gives it gas. CGB gives it ass <laughs> the the deepest darkest of ass <laughs> okay all right you're just you're, you're leaning in all right so we're getting to the end of the spoilers we've seen so far as of this recording i wanted to talk about all right you know what let's just let's just skip up to yep. the good stuff just hit it all right and on the highest note 
Well, okay. I'm going to end on the second highest note. All right, because uh, Palladium, uh, I think, is actually really sweet. <laughs> You've got to be kidding, dude! You just okay. If you guys could see the two cards that are on the screen right now, I just assumed we weren't going to talk about Palladium Mirror, but. Nope, do it. Fine. I'm not reading it for you. I'm not doing it. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm doing this. Palladium Mirror, all right? Three mana, artifact creature, mirror, uncommon, two, two, tap to add two colorless mana. Are you not into this card? How could you be into a three mana, two, two that doesn't pass the Teferi test, dies to Bone Crusher Giant? I, I mean, do you not remember that Gyre Engineer is like in the format? This is colorless, my friend. You're going to play... So what? Which, which, which deck are you running this in? Is this your Timmy Big Red deck? Are you going to... Is this going to ramp you into triple damage to everything? No. Nope. What does she... Nope. Ugin. Ugin. I got my eyes on Ugin, friend. Dude, you need... You need so if you're going to play Ugin, just play Cultivate. Just play Uro. And I still don't even think Cultivate is very good. Like, what, what other deck are you running this? You do know just because it makes colorless mana doesn't mean that Ugin requires that you use colorless mana to cast Ugin. You can use mana of any color. Oh, Therefore, I you know. can play good cards oh, I know. to cast Ugin. I, I, I think that colorless is being pushed in this set, and I, I've got it, my eye on this Mia. No. This card sees zero play. It's going to see play from me, my friend. I believe that, and I'm not changing. <laughs> <laughs> I think Palladium Mia is freaking sweet, dude. Why? I think this card's great. Can you convince me? Like, you can't just say Ugin. If you have the, you produce six of the eight necessary mana for Ugin, and you're reliant on a two-two not dying. That also happens to be an artifact, which you just mentioned the gem razor test. It doesn't pass the gem razor test, which is, is really unfortunate. I, I totally agree with that. That's what's holding it back. But like, <laughs> is this card better than, okay, is this card better than Llanowar Visionary? You would probably no, say no, right? Not even close. I, I think this card's better than Llanowar Visionary. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're just gobsmacked you're just like disbelief i i don't know man i i don't know what to say i i think i think that you need to have another protein bar or something i think the the blood stopped flowing to your brain a few minutes ago i'm okay i'm i'm trolling a little bit here i've i i have reached like you know i've reached the uh kind of ridiculous portion of the show i'm i'm not like strongly advocating that any particular person play palladium mere it is three hours later for me i'll have you know and i'm keeping it together um i i half just wanted to see you go off on this card but um i i have a sweet spot in my heart for palladium mere i think that this card is pretty sweet i'm gonna be trying to, to build around it and see what we can do with it all right, so let's let's pass on to the headliner here, the headliner of the set. This is maybe my favorite reprint in this set. I don't know. This or Ugin, it's tied. All I can say is that the cat ovens are not going to love to see this guy show up on the scene. Take us over the finish line, CGB, and read us this wonderful card. 
scavenging ooze. You may have heard of it. One in a green ooze. Rare. Two, two. For a green mana, exile target creature card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, put a plus one, plus one counter on scavenging ooze and you gain one life. Sounds simple enough. It's beautiful. It's a grizzly bear. What what is there to be excited about? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. So um, the card is kind of... It's kind of amazing in that you just have this open-ended use for your mana now that can attack uh, and interact with either graveyard. And the plus one, plus one counters on this are no joke, and neither is the life gain. It's it's kind of amazing how many times watching older formats like Modern and Legacy games I didn't expect an ooze player to win, just this card taking over. Um... And a few instances that I can think of right away in standard, people are going to say Cat Oven. That makes a lot of sense. The biggest problem with Cat Oven is lining it up so that you have enough green mana to compete with the amount of food they have. So just to walk you through the interaction, when the opponent tries to get their cat back from the graveyard, they have to sacrifice a food. That goes on the stack. The cat is still in the graveyard. You can respond by targeting it with the ooze. If they have another food, they can do it again. And you have to be able to respond with another green mana targeting the cat again for each food they have. But on the bright side, you can run them out of food at the cost of like one mana each. And when they're low on food, go for it again. So it's an interesting interaction there. The other deck that I think this was needed for is cycling. Just, ooh, their Zenith flares aren't going to have the same punch. And just Luris. Right, we we talked a little bit about the indestructible doggo and Luris being kind of this broken tag team, but scavenging news can completely mess with that. Um, so, what do you think is going to happen with scavenging news? What's what's this card's future in? Where does it sit? I think this card is this card's going to get fat and rosy and juicy, and its diet's going to be like forty percent RO. Mm. I mean, Oro decks are going to hate this card, dude. They are going to hate this card. How many times have we said Oro today? So I know, many, right? I know. And uh, Kroxa, for that matter. Let's not forget that Kroxa sees play. Granted, not mm-hmm. at the moment, but Kroxa has been in some pretty strong strong decks throughout the format. Um, Kroxa also hates this card. It's, it's also going to eat plenty of cats. And then it's just going to eat a lot of other random stuff. Like like uh, Elspeth Conquers Death is really not stoked about Scavenging Ooze. It can't target the Scavenging Ooze. And the Ooze can just eat whatever it was you were going to try to get back from Elspeth Conquers Death. So that's a super relevant interaction. Once this guy is rampant in the format, you're going to learn exactly how much you like your graveyard and how much you rely on your graveyard because Ooze is just going to nope it all away. This thing quickly becomes a 4-4 and then it quickly becomes an 8-8 and you're losing to it. So that's like, this thing's doing a lot of work and you're totally right. This card isn't even like super embarrassing against a mono red deck, you know? Like you could just... You could have some interactions throughout a game, do some blocking, etc., etc. You can eat your own creatures from the graveyard, right? So so the, the mono red deck, you know, could do some interaction and you could drop this on turn four and just gain two life and put two counters on it. It's pretty good. Like, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, that's really good. 
Yeah. And it's easy to underestimate that it kind of, unless they find a way to remove it, which usually it's a pretty big body for them to handle, they might try to go wide around it. But anytime something dies, this thing gains more life. It's just there on the battlefield, giving you options for your mana. And that is, it's hard to explain until you play those close games with this card, where it's just inching you out incremental advantage that you wouldn't have had. And then you kind of grow to understand how it works and why it's stronger than it looks. That said, these games are really fast. I'm a little bit nervous about it being, uh, you know, not quite as good as people are making it out to be. But that doesn't mean it's not good, uh, to be clear. Like, I, I think that this will be overhyped and overplayed at first. So I think it will... I think it will settle down as the format gets a little mature, but it will still be a player. I think it will still be a player. And I I also want to stress that there are it it actually the mechanics are so perfect. It seems like I honestly ask myself why I didn't see this coming. It has life gain interaction, which there's a lot of that in this set and in standard. And it has plus one, plus one counter interaction, which there's that in the green cards in the standard as well. So it's got synergies that have not been explored with this card will be available to be explored in standard, which is very exciting. So and then just a few other things to note about this. This conveniently dodges a number of the most played removal spells in standard at the moment. So it very easily dodges the giant. All you need to do is have one mana up and, and any creature to eat out of any graveyard and you can dodge Bone Crusher. And same thing with Heartless Act. You can't kill this thing with a Heartless Act as long as... Well, they can't kill it with a Heartless Act as long as you have any mana up to put into it. And, you know, if the worst thing that happens to you is that your Teferi, your Scavenging Ooze gets bounced with Teferi, it's not even a particularly massive... Uh, tempo swing for you because you only invested two mana in it so the ooze is a house like it's it is legit one of the best cards in this entire set and it's one of the only cards that we've seen on this page which like has been played in just about every format of magic ever so yeah the fact that this guy can keep up in legacy should tell you something it's a very very good card all right. Well, that catches us up to the cards that have been spoiled as of this recording. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We are going to be coming back to you later with another update on all of the spoilers that we've missed in the intervening time. And uh, this has been really fun, CGB. Thanks so much for taking the time to go through all of this with me. I've had a blast. I hope that you, the listener, has enjoyed just hearing us expounding and sharing our various valid and invalid opinions on these cards <laughs> we will see who is which is which we we will see my my palladium uh, tribal deck is coming stop. for you stop thanks so much for joining us for another week you can find arena craft podcast on all of the places you might want to find it arena craft pod on twitter arena craft podcast on the twitch you can join the Discord by finding the link in the show notes. You can find Covert Go Blue in all of the places you might want to find him. He is most active on YouTube. He releases a video every single day. You should definitely check them out. Always a blast. He also streams on Twitch 
Monday through Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Definitely go and catch him there. All right, CGB, I'm going to go and take my second nap of the day. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, we will see you in the next podcast. Goodbye. (laughs) 